0: It's the Allison. it's the Allison. It's the Allison. it's the I- 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 Allison. Allison. It's the Welcome to the Allison show. I'm Allison and boom, baby. I'm so glad you're here. Listen, lover, there's so much power in learning to see ourselves clearly. So on this podcast, let's try. (laughs) We're going to laugh together, possibly cry together, and we'll talk about why it's hard to feel our inherent wholeness, why it can be hard to feel awesome, and what we're going to do about it. And good news, we're going to be aggressively compassionate to ourselves and others as we do it. Yes! This is episode 180, baby! (laughs) Tiny Humans, Big Emotions with Alyssa Campbell. If you are not a tiny human or you do not have tiny humans, you still really, really want to listen to this episode. This episode is brought to you by me, Allison, on behalf of Craft Lake City. Craft Lake City is a nonprofit organization here in Utah that focuses on giving resources and all sorts of support to artisans and makers to uplift the whole state. I am on the board. What? Yes, somebody put me at a board. I get to say yay and nay. Um, it's way too much power. I absolutely love it. And I wanted to let you know about a holiday market that they are having in Ogden, Utah. So if you are anywhere near Ogden, Utah, December 1st and December 2nd, there's going to be 130 Utah artisans, craft food, local music, Santa, holiday spirits. And it's such an awesome way to support small businesses, to support the local artists and makers in your community. It's going to be a very fun event. You can find out more about that at craftlakecityonline.com, on Instagram, and yes, I'm so excited to be a part of this awesome organization. Ooh, listen, I did not understand what type of treat, I mean, I had an idea after reading her book, but having the conversation I did with Alyssa that you are about to listen to, it has helped me so much. This conversation, I have used the ideas and resources that I had from this conversation like every single day since I talked to Alyssa, and it's been a couple weeks. I am so excited for you to hear about her incredible book, her really life-changing research, and let's just get into it because she's so good. Alyssa, congratulations. Thank you. You wrote a book. And it's really, really good. And it's really important. It's called Tiny Humans, Big Emotions, Best Title Ever. (laughs) Thank you. such a good title. How to Navigate Tantrums, Meltdowns, and Defiance to Raise Emotionally Intelligent Children. However, before we even get started... I don't want anyone to tune out thinking that they shouldn't read this book if they don't have children or don't work with children.
1: Yeah. Spoiler alert. It's about us. Spoiler alert.
0: (laughs) This is what I think should be like a human person handbook, right? It's like, there's no handbook on how to raise children or how to be a human. Also something that I think a lot about is, you know, we really haven't had it modeled for us how to feel feelings. Yeah. Coming off of the boomer generation, we're like, you're fine. Suck it up. You're fine. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is the handbook for it. This is the guidebook.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It changed my life.
0: Thank you for writing it.
1: Absolutely. It's truly my pleasure. I was living with crippling anxiety and Mm. I don't live with crippling anxiety anymore. And I had to learn how to experience feelings without being overwhelmed by them and doing this work and creating what you'll read about in the books we call the collaborative emotion processing method the set method literally changed how I get to live and so it's an honor to get to share it
0: and I just want to pause for a minute what a miracle it is to say that sentence I used to live with crippling anxiety and now I don't Mm -hmm. and I start crying I always start crying but I start crying because I get to say the same thing.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And so I know what a big deal that is. Also, I didn't have words for the things that I was coming across to help me. And reading your book was like, I have words now. Yeah. And I not only have words that help me, but I have words and processes, the collaborative emotional processing that's it. It's collaborative.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I've only had the book for a short while. So many principles of the book are pieces of things that I've put together just from living life the way that I live it, interviewing people, reading, having yeah. breakdowns, you know, fun things <laughs> like that, <laughs> taking big mental health sabbaticals, having existential crisis, you know, just things fun,
1: you know, human things. things. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And it's such a, it's such a miracle. And I know there are so many people who are going to listen to this interview and hear that sentence and maybe feel like it's not possible for them mm-hmm. or it sounds too good to be true. Yeah. Um, and what, what would you say to somebody like that?
1: It, that, that makes sense. Like when you're oh, in it and I you're loving you. it, <laughs> it makes sense you. to feel like there no I've tried all these things and it feels like there isn't a way out of this yeah that is where I would start is that it makes sense and one of the things we continue to dive into in the book is really separating sensory regulation from emotion processing mm. and in practice I had to learn how to do of like What does it feel like to experience an emotion? The rush of cortisol, the adrenaline, the panic attack sometimes, right? Like that body, the physiological experience of an emotion. And what does it look like to learn how to get back into a safe body, a body that feels safe and calm, and then still be with the emotion? Maybe fear doesn't go away, but now it's not so consuming that the body experience is different. Just like yesterday, I was mad at my husband. We got in an argument and I was feeling disappointed. I have one Christmas present planned for my two-year-old because I'm having baby in December. And so I'm like really proactive this year on this.
0: Okay, wait, What's, what's your sign? I'm a (laughs) Taurus. Okay. I just, I just, we needed to know quickly because I was like, look at this planning or are we a Virgo here? Okay. Mm -mm. Taurus. Mm -hmm. We're just really the bull and we're going to make it happen. Okay. Sorry. Yeah,
1: exactly. But so I have one Christmas present planned for our two and a half year old. It's all set. And he blew it. He was like, said like, oh yeah, we're going to pick up your workbench. He's really into tools. And I was like, what did you just do? And I was like, that was his Christmas present. We were going to pick it up. I told him it was a table we were bringing home. We were going to assemble this in the basement. It was going to be out of the way. It was the whole plan, just like gone. And so I was pretty disappointed yesterday. Yeah, And I had to like, literally, I got to practice this. I got to go through the process of like, I'm feeling it like literally feeling it I'm fuming I'm crying if I open my mouth I'm just going to explode onto you And going through the process of like regulating and getting back into a calm body and then being able to have a conversation with him while still feeling disappointed and still feeling frustrated and angry, but now in control of the words I'm saying, the tone I'm using, the way that I get to show up in that conversation, that the goal isn't that we stop feeling, it's that we stopped being consumed by feelings to the point of not being able to act from a place of self-control.
0: Yeah in order to heal for me I had to find somatic mm-hmm. and I, I know people are, are more familiar with somatic healing sure. but that's a big a big part of the magic would you just you know teach the lay person who's sure. like well everybody's talking about this because I feel like what you described though is very much a somatic method of coming into the body what is happening in your book as well
1: Yeah, Um, exactly. And
0: so even, so maybe even somebody who's like, wait, how did you feel disappointed? Like what's some of like the science or technical aspects behind that?
1: Sure. So one of the things we like really dive into a lot is the like nervous system in general, the sensory systems. In fact, getting nerdy is like one of my favorite things in the world to do. I love it. (laughs) And (laughs) we, and this is also what I think like I kept finding was missing In things that I had been exposed to, whether it was like parenting books or teaching, uh, because my master's is early child education. So I've like been in that field and doing workshops. And what I kept finding was missing was that there isn't a one size fits all. We all have eight sensory systems that help make up our nervous system. We often hear of those five, sight, sound, taste, touch, smell. There are three more, interoceptive, which is if I say I have butterflies in my stomach, you know that feeling, right? That yeah. like,
0: you
1: can feel that inside, you know, it's, I'm nervous or I'm excited. We can pair some words with it. Hungry would be another like, cue where you like have internal feelings of like, oh, my stomach's growling, et cetera. I know I'm hungry. That's your interoceptive system. And then we have vestibular, which is located in your inner ear. It's like responsible for your balance and your movement. This is where if you like going on swings or spinning or dipping upside down, you're activating that vestibular system.
0: Vestibular. I like Mm -hmm. that word. Mm Okay, (laughs) thank you
1: yeah and, and then <laughs> proprioceptive which is that like big body play so these are people that like love crossfit and like heavy work and i love proprioceptive input i could have like a baby on my body for a long time and it's hard for me to get touched out um i like really okay. like that input of like having that like a weighted blanket is something i really like yeah. um having that pressure and it can also be activated with like muscles and joints like kids who are jumping off the couch into couch cushion it's proprioceptive input and so these eight sensory systems help make up our nervous system and our brains all of us filter this stimuli differently Now, like when i walk into a room i'm a sound sensitive human so if there's somebody like tapping a pen or like my two-year-old has this thomas the train that can turn on and then inevitably like within 14 seconds, it's stuck in a corner and it's like, click, 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 click. And I want to throw it out a window. Right. I married a drummer and he's like, great, but like terrible choice. Right. Like there's so much tapping, but I'm sound sensitive. I'm somebody who's not super visually sensitive. So if we walk in and there's like piles of things, places or there's clutter, it really doesn't drain my nervous system very much. But for my husband, he's visually sensitive. So if he walks in and like, there's a lot of clutter, a lot going on, like there's chaos in the house, the visually, it's really dysregulating for him. Mm. And then we have, so of these eight, we have some that we're sensitive to and some that we're seeking for regulation. And this is the part that's key with the somatic work is that when we're looking at like, how do I first notice when I'm feeling, but then get into a safe body and, and regulate, it's going to be different for all of us. I'm regulated by touch and proprioceptive input. So even if I'm like yesterday, when I was mad at Zach, I'm like, okay, I want your hand on my body or I want a hug, but do not talk to me. Right? Like I don't, I'm not in a place to talk to you yet, but I do need this to calm. And When my two and a half year old is having a hard time, he's dysregulated by touch. That's one of his sensitivities. So if I try to give him a hug or I put my hand on him, it further escalates him. Like he flies off the handle with it. And this is one of the things that I often found was missing with the like nervous system work is that. It's not one size fits all. What I need in the moment is unique to me. What you need in the moment is unique to you. What my little guy needs in the moment is unique to him. What my husband needs is unique to him. And when we understand our nervous system and what we're seeking for regulation, it helps us then access what is calming for me? What helps me feel regulated? Also, what's dysregulating for me? Why is it that sometimes I am getting ready in the morning and I feel fine and we're getting out the door with ease and other times I'm snippy and sarcastic and rude and at the edge of my seat? And it's like, oh, because Thomas the train was a part of this morning and he's clicking in a corner and now I'm not the mom I want to be. You know what I mean? And so when we get that part, I think it can really help us start to tune into our bodies and understand what's draining me, what's recharging me, so that we can even start to build awareness of what does it feel like in my body, just in general.
0: I mean, you're blowing my mind over and over (sighs) again, because that's something that I've learned about the somatic healing and the nervous system is my understanding is that You have to have both an intellectual explanation of it and the practice of it.
1: Mm -hmm. Practice is huge.
0: So if you have the intellectual application, like you just very beautifully gave us the intellectual Mm -hmm. application. Now, if I were to try to apply that method without having the intellectual, it's not going to work quite the same. So it's kind of like when somebody's like, go meditate or go put a weighted weighted blanket on. I've even said before that meditation is cruel to somebody in a certain state. that's, That's like a cruel thing to ask of them. But we are like, go be mindful and meditate. And somebody might be trying to meditate and feel like, what is wrong with me? I must be doing this wrong So it's the two parts of I understand some of the why, but I also apply it. Mm -hmm. And when just like you explained those eight different Mm -hmm. systems within the body, now when somebody goes to apply something, it's going to be more impactful and it's going to be different.
1: Totally. And one of my favorite things that I did personally when I first started this work was I set a series of alarms on my phone that were all random, like 1242, 358, whatever. And when it went off, my only job was to notice what's happening in my body right now. Just to start to tune in to it, right? Of like, where are my shoulders? What's happening with my fists? How's my heart? Like, my is it beating fast? Am I sweaty? Am I clammy? Like, what is going on with my jaw, my face? Just to start to notice my body more. I think part of the like application piece is that we try to apply it in moments of dysregulation without ever practicing it in moments of regulation.
0: Oh, that's so good. Right, it's like I think my my son and I were a little hypoglycemic. If I try to decide what to eat in that shutdown state, yeah, good it, luck. It's not going to go well. Yeah, we call it we call it the melt. We we start to just melt into the ground and we can't function. Right, yeah. and 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 so I've I've learned with him once he's in the melt me trying to get him to tell me what he wants to eat or even agree to eat is mean. Yeah. Because he, he's not in a place where he can do it. I'll be like, sweetheart, sit down. I'm going to make you a piece of toast and you're going to eat this. And then we can have a conversation about what you'd like to eat because even deciding what to eat in that moment is so overwhelming to, to his cute little system.
1: A hundred percent. and I think we can relate to that. I mean, just making decisions is one of the things that drains all of our nervous system. (laughs) Just the other day, my husband was asking me a question and I was like, can you please just decide I don't need to be a part of this? It was at my capacity, right? It's like when we're looking at dysregulation, it's when task demands are greater than your capacity. So I know how to brush my teeth and I know how to get myself to bed, right? But I'm 35 weeks pregnant and I'm on a book tour and Almost every night, I'm like, Zach, can you carry me to bed and brush my teeth? I've hit the end of my capacity. And when we are looking at this with the hypoglycemic scenario, it's that the task demand is greater than the capacity at that point. You don't have the capacity to meet the task demand of making a decision about what to eat. And you just need it made for you to help you get some more capacity to make any other decision after that. We try to build these skills in those hard moments. And that's not how we build skills. And so when I paused and like would just notice what's happening in my body with all those alarms, it just helped me start to practice tuning into my body and noticing what's going on. And then I started to add in like, okay, now how could I maybe start to slow my heart down or drop my shoulders down? And it was literally that of like, okay, I'm just going to drop my shoulders down. I'm going to open my hands. I'm going to breathe out to start my breath, like slowing down, like really just like small things that then when you are in those hard moments, you have a toolbox to call on.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, last night I was called on to, to help a friend whose dad had a heart attack and was dying in the hospital. and. To be able to go to the hospital and have some of these tools and tools that I I learned from your book and I read in your book, I felt like a superhero. Mm. And when you talk about capacity, I just, I I kept saying to my husband after this, it's a miracle. It's a miracle that I have the capacity. But I think having these tools and practicing them not in the crisis or in the moment of desperate need. It's like my muscles were strengthened. Yeah. And then I was able to sit back and notice it it truly feels like a miracle to be able to have the capacity. And the other reason why I love, love, love your book is because we only have our lived experience. Mm -hmm. in our body I only know what it is like to live in Allison's body and you only know what it's like to live in Alyssa's body and so then you add children or in-laws or siblings or parents and that's why I'm like yes tiny humans big emotions but we're all tiny humans within our adult human and we never learned any of this
1: that's right. And that's why the SET method is five components. One is adult child interactions. How do we respond to kids in the moment? And really, that just is how to respond to humans in the moment. Like you used at the hospital, the other day, there's a person who's relatively new into my life and texted and was like, I think I'm having a panic attack. And we jumped on a call. And at the end of the call, she was like, That is the first time I've ever experienced a panic attack where I felt like the person on the other end wasn't scared of my feelings. But that all that to say that like this is the adult child interactions for me is really like human to human. Like this is when I'm practicing this with somebody else. The other four parts are about us and they're about us because so many of us didn't get this as kids. No fault to our parents. They didn't know. Yeah. And I wrote about it in the book that like I was at my mom's house and I was writing this and saw a picture of me in a car seat when I was little. And oh, yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, yikes. Thank goodness we didn't get in a car accident because it's like a bucket with straps. And she was like, yeah, I didn't even have a car seat. Her mom didn't have a car seat at all. They had this. And now Sage, my little guy's in like a fortress rear facing till he's like 18. Right. Yeah. And it's not like my mom had this car seat that Sage has now. And I was like, I'm going to actually choose this other one, right? Like, no, it's just what existed. And same with our approach to social emotional development. They used what existed and what they knew. And we just know more now. And we've learned a lot about the nervous system, and especially learned how to do research on kids um, in a way that we didn't have when we were growing up. And so, when we're looking at this, one of the components that I think is the hardest to do is the uncovering implicit bias part where we're diving into our biases. I loved that. Will you you expound on that? This is the like, how were we raised? What was our social programming? What have we been exposed to? And just building awareness of that. Maybe you have an age bias where there's a certain age that you think kids should stop crying or should have certain skills. And that makes sense from a lot of our childhood where it was like, you're old enough to know better. That sort of thing. The other day I was giving a workshop to a hundred dads. And one of the dads was like, this all sounds great, but at what point is he just going to, his son, what what point is he just going to stop crying when he's having a hard time? And I was like, well, I'm 34 and I'm not there. So maybe never, maybe never. And that's okay too. But when we look at that bias of like, oh, you're supposed to hit an age where you stop crying. And so just diving into what is coming up. I, sometimes I open my mouth and my mom comes out and like, sometimes it's great. Sometimes we totally want to pass that on. And sometimes I've spent a lot of time in therapy to try not pass that on. And so what does it look like to do something different and especially something that hasn't been modeled for us and to, to really break these cycles and to dive into our biases that are going to come up, sometimes gender, sometimes racial. We're going to see biases across the board. And as we start to tune in and just really ask ourselves, like, Who's in the driver's seat of my brain right now? Like, what is this voice that's happening? And is this adult present day me choosing this? Or is this something I learned when I was five or when I was 14?
0: Yeah. And one of the things that I I love so much about the way that you speak about exploring and getting curious about those biases is it's so compassionate. I think a lot of times the words and the talk around understanding your bias or check your bias, right, Mm -hmm. can possibly unintentionally be very shame inducing. Totally. And your whole book is so compassionate, where it's like, you have a bias. That's okay. You're human. You're human. (laughs) We don't have to jump ship. And my natural response when I feel like I've been in the wrong or I've done something that hurts someone is, truly very extreme of like, I don't deserve to be alive. I don't deserve to be a part of the situation. I need to go to a corner in shame. Yeah. And that's going to sound really extreme to some people, but that's what it feels like inside my body. And so to, to have my capacity expanded so that I can examine my bias without shutting down has been probably one of the biggest factors in me being able to heal and move forward in my
1: life. It's a huge part of progress for all of us. And I I, I don't think that that sounds extreme. I think that that'll probably hit home for a lot of people that my son calls it wanting to be a turtle, where he just wants to hide inside of a shell. It's so right, so, right? Yeah. Isn't it so accurate? Yeah. When, when he feels embarrassed or guilty or whatever, he wants to hide inside of a shell. And actually, I've, I've come to this place where guilt is one of my favorite emotions, which sounds probably bonkers to say. All I that. like it. Yeah, but. When I can separate, like, is this actually guilt or is it societal messaging that I'm receiving? Because guilt lets me know when I'm outside of my values, when I'm not in alignment with my values. And so when I can notice, like, oh, I'm feeling guilty about the way I talked to my husband or that thing I just said to that person or whatever. I can then tune in and be like, okay, what is my value? And then how did I show up and then hold myself accountable? Then I can repair with that person and go over and say like, wow, that came out of my mouth and I heard it. And as I was thinking about it, I'm really sorry like here's what I intended to say or here's um, how I want to move forward here's what I'm going to do next time to regulate so that I can respond with more intention here's the learning I'm going to do whatever it is that's next for the accountability part. but for me that has been huge in the bias work because once I can acknowledge the guilt that came up and hold myself accountable then I'm not living with shame then I don't carry it afterward of like I am this thing it was like oh no I'm kind and loving, and I want to show up in this way. And I was outside of my values. My behavior wasn't in alignment with that. Mm. And it's not about me, it's about this behavior. And so, if I want to be able to access different behavior, what do I need to resource myself with? Maybe helping myself learn what it feels like when I'm getting to a place of dysregulation so I can regulate and respond with intention. But looking at what does it look like for me to move forward and then I'm not carrying the shame going forward.
0: For me, in my experience, it's opened up my capacity because I'm able to have an interaction and then I don't carry the interaction. Yes. When I'm at a conference and I'm having 30 interactions in a couple of hours, I would carry each interaction yep. and pick it apart and obsess. Was I friendly enough? Oh, they they said this. Did I respond in a way that made them feel validated, right? And that makes me in one way feel like I'm being a good person. Yeah. What it is actually doing is taking me out of the present moment, keeping me in shame And I'm trying to control the world from my mind tower,
1: like (laughs) a hundred percent that actually I thought of this part of the book. I just opened it up. It's on page 34, where I had said to a friend of mine, "Oh, she's such a good mom. And my friend was like, what does that mean? And I was like, you know what? Thank you. What does that mean? And so I started to dive into this. What did that mean to me? And I started to notice for myself, the comparison is so huge. For instance, last year, We had never done holiday cards. And I was like, I feel like good moms do holiday cards. So I ordered them. I sent out 15 and the rest live in a box in my house, never to be touched. They're never going to go out. I hated it. I was like, this feels like an annoying task. It's bringing me no joy. This isn't worth it. And there have been so many things like that. What does it look like to be a good mom? And so I ended up outlining these three questions that I take myself through and it can be adjusted for any relationship. But I ask, what's my long-term goal for this child? What's my goal for our relationship? And then am I modeling the values I want them to inherit? And so when it comes back to, okay, I'm not sending out holiday cards, great. If I go through those three questions, it doesn't matter that I'm not sending out holiday cards and I'm still a good mom. And there are times where I'm losing my cool every morning when we're trying to get out the door and I don't feel like I'm being a good parent right now. And then I go through those questions and yeah, this isn't in alignment with my values. I'm feeling guilty because I'm out of alignment. And so what does it look like for me to better resource myself, which often involves avoiding sounds like Thomas the train or things like that, that I can pull out that deplete my nervous system in the morning setting boundaries has been huge for me for that. How do I better resource? Like I'm going to finish my breakfast before I come look at what you're, you're creating or playing with that you want my attention for things like that. But looking at that and then getting back into alignment and saying, okay, now I'm in alignment and this is what it means to me to be a good parent.
0: Which is so beautiful. Whenever I work with anyone, I can be infuriating because They're like, well, how do you do this? And I'm like, well, what is it that you want? But what is your personal definition of success? (laughs) I absolutely love that. I want to say them one more time, those three questions, because they're so beautiful. Like, I'm just going to change the word. What's my long-term goal for this work project? What's my goal for myself as I complete this work project? Am I modeling the values as I do this work? that I want other people to inherit. You say, what's my long-term goal for this child? Mm -hmm. But, but even right there, I can take those beautiful questions and say, Hey, what's my long-term goal for this Monday, Mm -hmm. right? What's my goal for my relationship with self and other people for this Monday? Mm -hmm. And am I modeling the values that I believe in that I want other people and myself to inherit. And even right then, imagine your day set up for success with these questions, right? Legit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> They're
0: so good. Another thing, there's an example in your book, and you were explaining about a little guy who has a hard time hitting or biting. Yeah. Um, and and helping them notice the big emotions are coming. And it's funny because since I read that example in your book, I do it to myself. (laughs) Yeah, that's the goal, sister. That's the goal. I
1: just I love this. If you want to talk on this a little bit. Absolutely. What we often want from kids, from ourselves, from all the humans around us is self-control. We want to be able to choose our actions, choose our words, choose our tone, choose our body language. And first of all, no one operates from a place of self-control all the time. And that's fine. But what we need for self-control is self-regulation and you can't regulate what you're not aware of. So frequently we're asking self-control from ourselves and the people around us. And then we're just trying to regulate and we're like, all right, I can, I can regulate my body. I can calm, but you can't regulate what you're not aware of. And so that's what those little alarms on my phone were helping me do was start to notice my body in general so that I could tune in to like, what does it feel like when I'm in a calm body? What does it feel like when I'm frustrated? What does it feel like when I'm disappointed? Literally those interceptive cues, we were talking about of like in the same way that I notice, what does it feel like when I'm hungry? What does it feel like when I'm nervous or excited? There are these internal cues that let us know. And so this little guy who's doing a lot of hitting, kicking, what we wanted to start with with him was just helping him notice what does it feel like when it's building? I think of it like a volcano before it explodes. And so we would say like, wow, buddy, your voice is so loud and your shoulders are up to your ears and your hands are on fists. Gosh, you sound frustrated. And I would step between him and the other child so that he couldn't hurt them. But he's not in a place right now where he can access self-control. So he can't control his body right now. And so I'm helping him notice those cues. And then would step in and we have in in chapter five, the five phases of emotion processing. We would then walk him through. I
0: have it. I have it bookmarked. (laughs) Page 66 for those of us
1: following along. (laughs) I love it. And so we would walk him through those five phases. Then we're emotion coaching him and helping him build some of these tools and access some regulation, but with the support of an adult there. And then a couple months into the research, he started to do this on his own. He would say, my voice is so loud and my shoulders are up to my ears and my hands are in fists and I'm frustrated. And we're like, yes, now he's aware of it when it's building. And now when we step in, I'm like, oh my gosh, you do sound frustrated. What helps your body feel calm when you're frustrated? And we had been practicing these things together. And so sometimes he could tell me or sometimes he wasn't able to access it. And so I'd provide him with that. And then in about six months time total, he went from hitting, kicking, hair pulling, all that to, I can notice what's happening in my body, I can regulate it, and I can ask for help. He wasn't like, oh, hi, I'm feeling really frustrated, and I'm going to calmly tell this other child in front of me that I'm, but he was able to yell, like, I need help, instead of hurting somebody's body. And then we get to fine tune that part as we go on of like, what else can he do when he gets to that regulated state? But so often we jump ahead to like regulation or self control that we're expecting when kids don't even know what it feels like when they're getting dysregulated. So they can't tap into regulation.
0: Okay. So (laughs) these five phases of emotion processing number one, allowing one's emotions to exist. Yep. And I think that's the hardest. And that is the hardest because what I have noticed in myself is I, I gaslight my own feelings Mm -hmm. you're not freaking out you're fine you're not upset no that didn't hurt your feelings because logically you know they didn't mean that and you're being oversensitive and dramatic and yeah that is gaslighting yourself 100%.
1: 100%. We do it to kids. We also like often can solve the problem for them. They got the orange cup instead of the blue cup and they're upset about it. We can just swap it out instead of allowing them to feel frustrated or disappointed. Or we can pop in and we dismiss their feelings a lot where we're like, you don't have to be scared. It's just a Halloween decoration. It's not even real. Like it won't hurt you. Right. Rather Um, than like, Oh yeah, that does look scary. It makes sense to feel scared. A lot of us didn't learn how to be with hard emotions. And we didn't have an adult who modeled what it looks like to express comfort when you're experiencing discomfort. That's what my new friend was expressing, right. When she was having a panic attack that, I wasn't afraid of her big feelings. So I could allow her to feel anxious without having to make it go away for my comfort. And this is the hardest phase, I think, is just allowing kids to feel. We're always going to do it with boundaries. So I won't let you hurt my body. I won't let you hurt your body. I won't let you hurt the things in our space. Those are the boundaries in our household. And then as they get older, we might even fine tune some of those boundaries. Like, I won't let you yell at me or I won't let you swear at me or whatever. Like, these are my boundaries for how I'm going to show up in relationship. But you get to feel you get to feel these hard feelings and that and know that those are real for you.
0: I think your description of the eight systems and, and the senses with understanding I'm so much more empathetic and compassionate where. I can have absolute chaos in my visual space and I'm hunky-dory. My husband cannot. Rather than, you know, lighten up, loosen up. Life's not just about keeping everything clean and perfect. It helps me respect and acknowledge he is allowed to be in his body and have his experience of a mess, which is different than my experience of a mess. Correct. Right? Like. Yeah. And so, even having that awareness of not everybody is affected the same by these different
1: things. Totally. It does. And that brings us into phase two, which is recognizing their perceived mm-hmm. emotion. And this is where we bring validation in. And I shared this story in the book, but there was a magnetile tower that had been built and crashed down, and the kids like melting down, right? For me, it doesn't feel like a big deal. You can build it again. This is magnetiles, right? It's not the end of the yeah. world. And then I had this flash to a week prior when I had folded a bunch of laundry and all these piles were on my couch. Know, yeah. And then Sage came in and destroyed the piles. And if somebody had come up to me at that moment, I was like, don't worry, Alyssa, you can fold it again. <laughs> nope, don't want to, already did it. Like, I know that's what I have to do in the end. Yeah. I'm not there yet, right? Yeah. And, but that is where like, it's in phase two where we pull that allowing in and add validation. And I'm not in the validation part, connecting over why they're feeling what they're feeling necessarily, or saying like, oh, I would feel the same way. I'm not condoning behavior around the feeling. I'm saying, I know what it feels like to have that feeling. I know what disappointment feels like. I know what frustration feels like. I know what embarrassment feels like. I can connect over that feeling. So if I believe that, they're experiencing embarrassment right now and I know what embarrassment feels like that's what I'm connecting over like that sucks like I also want to be a turtle inside my shell right now when I feel embarrassed like yes. it makes sense to cry and want to hide and run away we're connecting over what they're feeling not why they're feeling it in phase two.
0: Ooh, and that is so good number three feeling secure and experiencing a range of emotions over time
1: yeah and that's this idea that like nothing lasts forever right and this is where anxiety is huge if we feel like we're supposed to get out of feeling fear if we're trying to make our fear go away it's like quicksand we just get buried into it when you can be with fear and say like yeah, it makes sense for me to feel scared about this right now. I'm not going to feel this way forever. It's okay to feel scared right now.
0: Mm -hmm. Your
1: nervous system actually starts to calm when you stop trying to run from it. And sage actually started a new childcare program in september and we were on the way to school and he was like mama i'm gonna feel sad at school and i'm gonna be all alone and you're not gonna be there and in the moment i'm like well i want to quit my job right never (laughs) mind i will be chained to you forever yeah Yeah. Yeah. you don't ever have to feel sad please don't ever feel sad and if you do i always want to be there in the security part I got to pop in and say like, yeah, buddy, that makes sense. Sad doesn't stay in our body for a long time. It stays for a little bit and then you'll feel other things too. Us allowing kids to feel or the other human to feel that emotion and without making it go away, security really is allowing ourselves to feel it and saying like, I'm safe to feel this. I won't be consumed by this. And then We can pull into phase four, which is coping. And there are two different types of coping. And this is something that I felt like was always missing in what I was experiencing in research and literature that we really like broke down in our research and it's coping mechanisms versus coping strategies, coping mechanisms. We all have them. They're not bad and they're temporary relief it's a hit of dopamine. Basically it activates our dopam- dopaminergic system. And so my favorite one is like Facebook marketplace. I don't even need to like buy the thing. I'm just like, is it still available? Right. Like that's it.
0: Yeah. My um, favorite one is going to the gas station and getting a diet Coke.
1: Yeah, perfect. Yesterday when I was angry at Zach, I was actually like headed out to do grocery pickup and he was putting Sage down for a nap and I added in a stop to McDonald's to grab a Dr. Pepper. Ooh. And I was like, I'm going a coping mechanism my way here for a minute. Yep. And the thing about mechanisms is they're not bad. We just know that the feeling is still gonna exist, right? So when you're done with that Diet Coke, the hard feeling's gonna be there and we have to be prepared for that. So sometimes we are gonna like, do a distraction because we don't have time to go through the whole thing or we're not in a place to feel sometimes you we might see not this
0: have with, the capacity exactly
1: we yeah. see it with grief and sadness of i just need a break for a minute because i don't have that capacity and then when i do we can allow it again and what we're looking at with the mechanisms usually it can be a substance it can be the Diet Cokes, it's it distraction. We can even use it with like food or exercise sometimes to-do lists. Like I'm going to do list my way out of this. Right. And we highlight a bunch of them within the book. And then yeah. strategies are those activities with like the diving into those eight sensory systems. What are the ones that are regulating for you? I mean, deep breaths is the fastest way to regulate your nervous system, but also like it could be having a hug from somebody. It could be snuggling a baby. It could be going for a walk. It could be just connecting with Somebody. And then we highlight a bunch of those in there. And what happens there is your body produces serotonin or oxytocin. And when that happens, it pumps the brakes on the like adrenaline and cortisol that's coursing through you when you're having a hard time. So it pumps the brakes on that from your adrenal glands. And then your nervous system actually starts to regulate versus dopamine comes in and it's really fast acting but underneath you still usually have adrenaline or cortisol and then you just have dopamine that numbs it. So as that dopamine wears off, you're back in a state of adrenaline or cortisol. Is
0: it possible to live in a state of adrenaline? I really feel like I lived in a state of adrenaline for like 15, 20 years. Like, and, and that's truly what I believe caused my body to shut down.
1: hundred percent. It's actually really unhealthy for our bodies.
0: Yeah. It hard shut down and mm-hmm. i've just never had um anybody with the qualifications to validate my theory so
1: <laughs> <laughs> you are so welcome yeah it's legit in fact like once those mechanisms start to wear off the adrenaline and cortisol is still happening and even if that starts to wear off we can hit a place where our body starts to crave adrenaline or cortisol because it's what it's used to and so yeah. we'll seek it out again like we go and we look for it subconsciously To stay in that like hyper vigilant alert state that our body can get used to and start to crave.
0: So there's the Amy Winehouse documentary.
1: I haven't seen it, but I think I need to. You're like the third person who's mentioned it to me, actually.
0: Really? Well, from a psychological standpoint, that's probably why people bring it up. There was a, a part where she gets clean. She gets off of the drugs and she wins like the biggest award of her career. And she's sober. And she leaned over and said, but this doesn't even feel good. It's still not anything. And I could relate to that feeling. And I've never done any hard drug. I could relate to that on such a visceral level. I felt seen. I felt understood. It's been a maybe a decade since I've seen that. And as I began to heal and my system began to regulate, over this past year, there has been this sense of, the only word I can think of is ennui, which is boredom, mm-hmm. or where's the spark? Where's the fire? Where's, yeah. where's the panic? Where's the urgency? I feel like I've had to relearn how to live.
1: How to live with contentment. Yeah. Right? That like, Those of us who are used to that I'm at a nine or a 10 or I'm at a one or a two and I'm cycling between those two learning how to be at like a three to an eight is hard. It feels uncomfortable. It feels boring. It feels scary when you're like, can I really let myself feel fear without getting into an anxious spiral? Learning how to say, oh yeah, I can feel fear. And wow, I'm feeling it at a four or a five instead of a one or a two, or instead of a nine or a 10, if I'm anxious. Yeah. That's super, super common that when we've been living with so much adrenaline or cortisol and relying on dopamine, because dopamine's going to spike you, you're going to feel a high and it's going to feel really good. And it's going to feel relieving. It's the reward it's like, center of our brain.
0: My favorite thing is, oh, when you give a people pleaser an Instagram.
1: A hundred percent.
0: It's like when you give a mouse a cookie. Do you guys talk about social media much in your book?
1: No, we don't. Because it's so geared towards younger yes. kids with these examples. But what I'm interested to see is like, if we can raise kids with these tools, I think we can then give them more tools than we were given to be able to navigate social media, to say like, Oh yeah, when I'm on it and I'm just mindlessly scrolling, especially without some sort of timer or something like that, I don't feel good afterward. Here are the patterns that I notice. Or when I pop on and I engage with these accounts or I am messaging privately with these humans that I feel really connected to, this is how I feel in my body. And helping them tune in to notice that and then be able to make conscious decisions from that is something that we weren't given, right? I mean, there there was no precedence for this. <laughs> And so I'm curious to see what does that look like when we can arm kids with those tools and helping them understand that it is so chemical, that what they're experiencing is physiological and it might feel real. The emotions part might feel really real and that we can separate the emotions from the physiology when it comes to modeling it for myself. It, for me, has been a shift to how I respond to this person matters. I have a cousin who's significantly younger, who at one point just mentioned something about a post that we'd done. And I was like, oh, shoot, like it triggered to me like he's following us like in my head. I'm having conversations with a bunch of other adults. He's seeing this, which means when somebody comments on my post, he's watching how I respond. And I have this opportunity to model yeah. What this looks like, like that's the one thing that I wish we as adults took more ownership over. How you engage with other humans on the internet is being modeled for kids who are exploring the internet.
0: Oh, yes, that was just like a mic drop moment <laughs> right there. So these steps that that you're sharing are so cool. I could talk to you forever. Um, I'm so grateful and uplifted by the work that you've done and it's so important is there one message that you want to to leave with people that is important to you right now that you want to share
1: yeah there's two yeah one, there's two <laughs> one is that there's no world in which you read this book and you're doing this work and you're like great. I'm regulated all the time. I always feel connected. Everything <laughs> feels chill and calm. I'm
0: aligned <laughs> all the time. Yes, right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I set this boundary and I did it in such a perfect way that like <laughs> everyone around me is really jazzed about it. They're like, wow, I can tell yeah. that you're really prioritizing you and like keeping me safe. That is not how this is going to go. We say it at the beginning of the book, but that SEP isn't the absence of hard things. It's the toolbox and ability to navigate them. And so when we're looking at doing this work, it's not that you're going to stop feeling sad or disappointed or scared or frustrated or overwhelmed. It's not that your kid's going to stop. It's not that your partner, or your co-parent, your employees, your coworkers are going to stop feeling feelings. It's that you'll have a toolbox to be with them without being overwhelmed by them, without being consumed by them. And that you'll know that you're not failing for feeling dysregulated sometimes, and then feeling regulated for feeling disconnected from folks sometimes and coming back into connection. And as you get to build your awareness and your toolbox for it, it's easier to come back into regulation, to come back into connection, but the dysregulation is still real. And so that's number one. Number two is that actually we had an additional chapter that my editor was like, you can totally keep this, but also you say this in every sentence of the book. So I think your point has gotten across that there is no perfection in this. Mm-hmm. I've never left the day as a teacher or a parent and been like, wow, I was perfect today. Yeah, <laughs> <nailed> it. <laughs> exactly. Like, it's not real and it's not necessary. Actually, John Gottman has research on this that if we emotion coach correctly 20% of the time, it has lasting results. So if we're showing up with others, In a way that's connected and regulated, 20% of the time it has lasting results, which means you get to drop the ball and blow it quite a bit. That is
0: such a sigh of relief. (laughs) 20% is a a percentage I can strive for. Like maybe 30 sounds hard, but 20 I can do. 20 feels doable.
1: Like 80% of the time you can be off. Yes, okay. (laughs) And, And so when we're looking at this, just like that is so huge that we get to model what it looks like to make mistakes, to drop the ball, to have a hard time and then to hold ourselves accountable and reconnect with those humans that uh, we have to repair with now and that you're not at fault for having to repair. You get to model what that looks like because your kids, your partners, your friends, they're also imperfect humans who are going to drop the ball. And we get to show them that that's okay. I do it too sometimes. And here's how we hold ourselves accountable.
0: Well, I appreciate both of those so much because one of my favorite tendencies is that I should become a robot. Like, Allison. when are you going to stop having anxiety attacks? And I'm like, yeah. oh no, I still have anxiety attacks. I have them more beautifully. Sure. It I can be like, with fear. Yeah, like, <laughs> wow, you navigated that grief like a real champ 20% of, of the time, and that's good enough, right? <laughs> I presented
1: at Alt Summit this past year on emotional intelligence in the workplace, and one of the questions in the Q&A part, someone was, she's, CEO of a team and she was like I have this one employee who whenever she is upset she cries and that's her go-to what can I do so that that's like not her go-to and I was like oh well let's first look at why does it matter if she cries and what have we created in the workplace in an environment where you're not supposed to cry, like find another way to feel because crying's not okay. And yeah. like, Why isn't it okay? And so when we get to really look at those biases and dive into like, yeah, you might continue to feel fear, right? You might continue to experience anxiety. You're going to feel grief and sadness and you might cry and that's okay. You're not failing for feeling.
0: Ooh, you're not failing for feeling. That's so good. Alyssa, thank you so much for this yes. conversation. Thank you for the book. We're going to link to it, but it's available
1: everywhere.
0: And it's an audio book as well.
1: -hmm. When I read it,
0: you read it.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm
0: downloading it right now. (laughs) I I, I have the hard copy, but you know, I want to just hang out with you in my ear. Are you kidding? Gladly, you got about
1: 10 hours of me coming at you. (laughs) And Seed and Mm Sew. Seed and Sew. Yep, so S-E-W. And we have a podcast, Voices of Your Village. We drop episodes uh, every Thursday. And it's anywhere from like the us parts of this to the tiny humans, to teenagers, to whatever, bringing different experts in for conversations.
0: So beautiful. Thank you for these resources. Thank you for sharing them in a way with your personal experience so that we can all connect to it. And totally. we appreciate that.
1: Thank you so much for having me and for... <laughs> prioritizing conversations about this mental health and mental wellness jazz
0: so you heard Alyssa
1: you can find
0: her on Instagram at s e w, or you can listen to her podcast which I'm super excited to learn about which is called Voices of Your Village And speaking of podcasts, you guys, stop. I'm so honored that people actually listen to the podcast. I didn't want to look at numbers, and I didn't want to set all these expectations, but I seriously, still doing this episode, was really nervous to come back and... I just know, though, that the relationships this podcast creates and the community that it, like, fosters is worth it. It's worth the nervousness. It's worth the vulnerability. I am so honored that you take the time to listen. And one thing I'm really excited about with our new format is Ask Allison. We don't have any questions yet. (laughs) But to be fair, I hadn't put the link to the form in exactly. So if you go to the show notes, there's going to be a link to Ask Allison, and that's where you can ask any questions that we can answer on the podcast. You can do it anonymously. and it can be about anything. I love answering questions because I feel like such a sage now that I'm 40. I turned 40 last week, and now I'm just a wise old woman, and I am so grateful that we have one new review from Mama Cookie Maker, and I'm going to read your review, which is you... This is also vulnerable. I used to make Eric read the reviews. Let's make him do it sometimes. still, okay? Finally. Very very happy to have the Allison show back in my feed. Such an amazing show that has made me a better human. Oh, forever thankful. Loved the new format of an interview in Eric's music too. Thank you so much for that review, Mama Cookie Maker. Your reviews, sharing the podcast, telling me on Instagram that you listened, shooting me an email, any way that you communicate, I am super excited to receive <laughs> and so grateful for. And Mama Cookie Maker, if you send an email to at show.com, that's Allison with one L, we are going to send you my Taking Inspired Action course. It's a really awesome course that has meditations and all sorts of things like that. So shoot us an email so we can gift you that. And What a gift. The presence is your present to me. So I appreciate you. I'm so glad you're here. You're doing a really good job. I hope you grab Alyssa's book because you need it in the audio and in the print so you can take pictures of the list and the steps. It's going to change the way we communicate. It's going to change the way we relate to ourselves and others, and it's such a beautiful thing. I want to remind you that only you can be you, and you are already as awesome as you need to be. My lover, Mr. Eric Robertson, take us out on a song, baby.